Hi, this is Dave Dorman, Star Wars artist extraordinaire, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Have fun! <laughs> You're on a streak. I love to see it. You love to see it. Yeah, it warms my heart. A lot of things gonna warm my heart this episode. That's right. Beautiful art. Yep. Turtle's gonna come out of a shell. That sounds dirty. It's dirty. I think we should do book of the month, uh, book of the bi-weekly. Oof. Yeah, it's a lot. Can't co-sign that. So, uh, it's a lot, but we have we usually have a lot of fun on these books for months. At least lately, we're on a good streak. When it's not screwed up. Well, hey, you know who's in charge of that? The, the patrons. People. The patrons. Yeah, that's yeah, true. yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Hey everybody, it's eleven o'clock comics, episode seven hundred and ninety-four, and I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Indeed. And uh, back, back again, straight from the multiverse, I am Morphia. Wow. Mm. You're not. You're Jason Wood, everybody. Back from assignments. I hope you have all your, your video and your audio all together so we can we can post that stuff. Oh, yeah. Tons of it. Yes. He was on assignment, and uh, he's always good for a, a, a rollicking good time. So, But it's uh, good to have in, you back. Uh, down in DeSantisville. Yeah, it's great, crazy town. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know who's not crazy? Not one bit is our beautiful patrons. Facts. Yeah, they're the people that bring this to you each and every week. So thank them, because they elevate everyone. How's that? Well, we got a bunch of people who hop on the Patreon, patreon.com. If you want to go specifically to our page, you put a slash and it's 11 o'clock comics. One, one, no apostrophe. And they just love us and we love them. And it's, it's, it's just a great time. Audio, video, art, um, polls, text. And the best thing, I think, is the dedicated Slack channel where we gather each and every day, 24 hours, seven days a week, and just talk about everything, as they say, various and sundry. So if you would like to get a bird's eye view and see what this uh, Slack thing is about, go to that URL I just said, patreon.com slash 11 o'clock comics. We love you. So why we do it. Yes, sir. And in case you aren't paying attention, this is the book of the month episode for april it is atari force uh we're gonna be have a little bit of discrepancy about how many issues we've all read uh but that's okay Uh, some people take big bites and that's good there's 20 issues and a special Mm -hmm. and a preview yeah, that's technically that's um, a zero issue. Yeah. But I don't quite recall into what comics that was inserted back in the day. It could have been like a Masters of the Universe thing where they inserted it into everything. Right. Um, um, yeah. Or it could have been like the Teen Titans or Brave and the Bold. Or I'm Batman and the Outsiders where it was in one 
particular comic. Before we get into it, I think that's a very, very smart move on mm-hmm. a publisher's part to give you uh, 20 or so, give or take, extra pages for free. I don't recall the price ever jumping because of a preview back in the day. In fact, I don't think the Masters of the Universe one was any more than cover price of the regular issue. And it, it, it allows you to peruse and make a, a judgment call without having to spend any extra money. I think that's a great idea. I wish they would do that today. I mean, mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. not a snowball's chance that they would, but I think it's a neat idea. Yeah, but, but but the thing I dislike uh, about previews, I love previews um, when I get them for free in, in another book or when they're um, presented to me in a method that I don't have to pay for, but it really irks me whenever I buy an anthology and later on that special preview that was in the anthology later appears in the first issue of an ongoing. That drives me crazy. It's like you're paying for something twice. And I think that that new image anthology, I think they're doing something like that in there, where you, um, you get a, a, a bird's eye on a, a series, and then later on you buy the first issue of that, and it's like, well, wait a minute, deja vu, I've already read this and paid for it. Yeah, can't have that. No, can't but have it that. bugs me. Um, the Atari Force preview was in DC Comics Presents number 53 and... The New Teen Titans, number 27, both cover date January 1983. See, high-profile books at the time. Yes. Yeah, extreme. Teen Titans was uh, a rival for... uh, Uncanny X-Men. Right, the popularity of X-Men. I mean, they were neck and neck for a a decent amount of time. That's why the best thing was uh, for them to have that crossover. Yeah. Which was odd because it was... Which, listen, we all love Walt Simonson. I thought it was a a great-looking issue. Yeah, um, bit odd though. But it's odd that that Walt isn't drawing the Titans, nor was he drawing any of the X books. Right. So, uh, it was just it was it was peculiar. But hey, he was available, and I'm glad he was, and it was great. But um, it's like a little present now because you go back and you read that, and you're like, what if? To borrow, you know, the other company's uh, turn of phrase, what if Simonson did draw Teen Titans or? Uncanny X Men, like it would have been awesome, but I mean, eventually, I mean, mm-hmm. right? With X Factor, we eventually got it. Sure, well, years later, right? Yeah. yeah, but would he have been drawing it if his wife wasn't writing it? I don't mm. know. I don't know. So, uh, before we get into the thick of things, let's do the old drink roll call. Um, I suck because. Mm. Uh, Thanks to a wonderful surprise today, uh, the trip to the the wine place never happened. Uh, in fact, I lost all track of time, and I had to resort to the standby, which is the beer that shall not be named. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, Jason. I yep. think soon to be a uh, prominent sponsor on Twitter. <laughs> well, I, I'm never going to see it. Happens, it. Yeah, I don't know. It's, not not I mean, gone, though, but yeah. It, I, listen, I, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of... Um, I, understand, I know that there's a whole lot of other... Just because they agree to it, there's still a lot of hoops that need to be jumped through before it happens, and I'm not saying it won't, but... 
I, yeah, but I'm, the, I'm I'm hesitant to just you know say the whole house is on fire. I mean, the house has been smoldering for a minute, but um, I'm not ready to run well, away just yet. Right to use your 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 house analogy, you know, if someone shits in the living room, you're going to smell it upstairs in the bathroom, right? I'm just saying the the, the stench is there now. So whether or not it permeates the entire house, it's still somewhere in the house, and I'm not, I'm just not 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 down with it. I'm not doing it. Can't have that. Nope. No. Yeah. But whatever. Uh, so yeah, Yingling. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so I uh, I am drinking uh, two things. Uh, I am drinking some coffee, which is almost done to be honest, because we've been sitting here chit chatting. A couple of sips left, and uh, and then I have some uh, some delicious ice cold water. My man, I can't wait for Heroes to get you some actual beverages, some adult beverages in you. That's, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I'm down with it. I had some cocktails on vacation. It was it was nice. And if you see me at Heroes and I have a glass that does not require two fingers to hold, you slap it out of my hand and go get me some wine because I'm not doing any beer at Heroes. That's right. Just wine. Because I don't want to be right. all was, bloated uh, and shit. I was talking mm-hmm. to the uh, North Carolina boys today about uh, Thursday. You know, pre, pre, you know, pre-game little uh, fun that we'll be having, and and they were talking about all the great craft breweries in in Charlotte, and that is true. We have, we have some of them a few years back, but I was saying, you know, boys, I, I I don't know if that's my spot this year. I don't, you know, like that's <laughs> like like I don't drink beer anymore. So yeah, hate to shit to, on your parade. Maybe go to have to go to a wine bar. Maybe <laughs> that'd be fun. Do now? I yeah. mean, I mean, do they do flights of wine? Like, could you get samples of wine like you can with with IPAs, like of bourbon? And, I know. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you you can if you go like to a, a, a vineyard, go wine tasting. But yeah, I yeah. don't know that I've ever come across a wine. T- like, I, yeah, I don't know. Although, well, I, not in the do- way that you're talking about. But I, I definitely like. There are often, um, like when you go to restaurants for and you get a, a tasting menu. Mm-hmm. Quite often, they will have a wine pairing with it that you can get, and generally those are not, you know, those are smaller because it's meant for each course. So like they'll be instead of like a five or six ounce pour, it'll be a three ounce pour. Yeah. It's kind of like that, but that's again, it's not like they don't bring it out in the flight. They just bring it with each of the courses. Right. So that's a little foo foo for me. Little foo foo, but maybe, maybe we'll do a maybe we'll go to a place as a wine pairing one of the nights while we're in Charlotte. Sure, I'm down for anything. I know you're very open minded. It's true, uh, David. Oh, uh, Dap! I was telling Beth about the Bartesian while we were on vacation. Oh. She didn't know she didn't know such a thing existed, and she was fascinated. Oh well, you guys just come on over whenever you want. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't like. She was wondering, like, she had all these questions. I'm like, I don't know answers. I'm like, I know it does a lot of things, because she's she loves like she rarely drinks. We've talked about this. She, re- I mean, she and I almost never drink hard liquor, you know, like certainly not at home. But, um, but like when we're on vacation, she loves herself like a mudslide. Like she'll she'll fuck up a mudslide. So would the Bartesian be able to handle that, or probably not, right? Because it's got cream and stuff. Like, is that yeah, not- no, that it, I mean, they do. No, there are no um, unless. No, there are no um, there are no dairy based or cream based um, okay. spirits, and I don't I don't think there are any capsules that uh, would kind of um, give the impression 
of uh, mm. of cream. I know that. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing. I know that they do have a. There is a capsule for an Irish coffee, and I don't know if that actually has like concentrated coffee in the capsule, or if they expect mm-hmm. you to brew coffee and then you're adding whatever. Because there's no there's no alcohol in the capsules itself. You supply the alcohol, so even that, even the even the Irish coffee, I'm guessing is concentrated coffee that gets added to whatever uh, spirit. Nice. It, it mixes with. Let's nice. talk about some concentrated comics after you tell them what you're drinking. Well, speaking of wine, oh, yeah, uh, I just finished the um, the last of uh, what I had last week the um, the rye barrel aged uh, red. But uh, so now I am. I realized I had a bottle open of that uh, that unrated extra cab that I've been enjoying so much. So um, I'm going to sip on that for a little bit while we talk about our book of the month. Yes, indeedy. And just to reiterate, our book of the month is Atari Force. And you better put Atari in all caps when you write this out. Because it's an ac- it's an acronym. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it could stand for one of two things. In the preview, it's silly. They actually use Atari in the Atari acronym, which is dumb. At one, yeah, during in the preview, yeah. yeah. But so, then in the main in the main book, they they realize right. There's like, wait, why why use the same thing in within the act? It doesn't like, make what sense. What happened? Right. It's so like people who say uh, pin number when they talk about yes, the yeah. So in the preview, it's, or ATM machine. It's mm-hmm. for a, a Atari. It's Atari Technology and Research Institute silliness. But in the <laughs> ongoing. It's Advanced Technology and Research Institute. Makes a ton more sense. And it, it rolls off the tongue better. Say, what does Atari yeah. stand for? Well, it stands for Atari Technology. <laughs> what? So it's just, it's it's like, it's just an infinite loop. You just keep repeating. It, it just never ends. The, the entire, what, what Atari stands for never stops. Because it's just, as soon as you finish saying it, then well, Atari was in the beginning. Is it the start? And so it just, yeah. Right. They got smart. And it was created by Jerry Conway, Roy Thomas, and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, mm. written by Jerry Conway, with art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, and it was his first monthly comic. That's craziness. His first ongoing monthly, well, he didn't do all of the issues. And, and close to only. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, he did. Uh, Cinder Nash, he, he did some miniseries here and there. Um, but as far as anything longer than a few issues, this is pretty. I mean, even the Dead Man miniseries, everything else that, that Jose has done is pretty much for miniseries. And yeah, I was true. just so giddy that, um, that we've got multiple consecutive issues, uh, for the first year by the man. Well, that's because they be had Heroes a Con. nice. Again, yes. Because they had him nailed down doing the style guide. That yeah. was that was a a, a massive undertaking to mm-hmm. to delineate the look and feel of every single hero in the DC universe. By and he was perfect for it, though. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I can't think of anybody better. Well, I know uh, most people point at Mister Perez for the best depiction of Wonder Woman ever, but I think I'd have to go with Jose Luis Garcia Lopez for that. I love his Wonder Woman. 
Is yes, no, I, I, I do too. I mean, even Brian Bones isn't bad, but yeah, I, I mean, well, if you like stiff, but okay. <laughs> yes, but uh, well, and and of course, long curly hair, but the uh, I mean, no, nobody can touch George's Wonder Girl, but yeah, the, the Wonder Woman, I think I, I would, I would lean with you on, uh, on Jose. Oh yeah, Wonder Girl, that's one hundred percent George. Yeah, no, no question. You're right. Mm-hmm. So with art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, some cat named Ross Andrew, the all-time greatest Spider-Man artist ever. It's not JRJR? No. And uh, Ricardo Villagran with color art by Tom Zuiko. I'm sure that's how it's pronounced, right? Zuiko? It yes. is tonight. Yeah. And there's some Keith Giffen thrown in there to sweeten the pot. Bob and, Lappin on on letters, which were great, and, and with the exception of maybe two issues that Jose inked, Ricardo inked the entire series, which I, in my mind, helped make it look consistent throughout. And yeah, and, and we'll get into that, but it's it, for the most part, and 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 Zuiko even does some coloring on the special at the end. I think he's the only one who actually stuck with uh, the entire series from um, from start to finish. Although Adrian Rowe did the, did the preview from issue one all the way to the special, I think Tom did the colors. And that's, that's a pretty consistent creative team, more or less. I think it's very consistent because stylistically, Ross Andrews, not a far jump from Jose... Luis Garcia right. Lopez. They 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 play right. in the same sandbox. Um, right, and then Eduardo Barreto took over with issue thirteen. Again, yeah. s- stylistically very similar. Mm-hmm. Right. Mike Farron writing it, writing the final uh, what uh, seven issues? Yeah, yeah, fourteen through twenty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, so there you go. Um, and uh, Jason, do your thing. Yeah. So, well, th- and also in doing my thing, I also want to say this is a different. Um, we we have kind of had an I guess a, not an official rule per se, but but for all the years we've been doing books of the month, we have at least I don't know how often we've said it publicly, but but and this is really give Dap credit, he has tried very hard to make sure that uh, whatever we end up picking, whether it be something you all choose for us or we choose, uh, that it's available, uh, readily available for people to uh, to 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 purchase. Um, you know, so that they can play along, uh, and, and this certainly didn't fit that bill um, no. because, for a litany of reasons, largely just tied into licensing, because this was all kind of like you know tied up with Atari and the name Atari and the video game stuff. Um, this is this is just not easy to find um, uh, outside of just buying having the issues. Um, so, but with that said. Um, uh, when was the first time, Vince, that you experienced Atari Force Volume Two? And I'll ask about Volume One as well, because certainly that that, that you know accounts. I mean, we're not going to talk about it in depth detail tonight, but but obviously, if you have any thoughts on that, um, well, I've never read Volume One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the the little ones that came within the uh, with the video game cartridges. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I've I've never read those. And uh, oddly enough, weren't they reprinted? Yeah. Um, yes, they were. Uh, Dynamite got the got the, the rights. 
because Dynamite had that whole centipede defender, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, tie-in thing yep. a while back. Which centipede's really good, by the way. But uh, so when was the first time I read Atari Force? I'll be completely honest. Yesterday. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I can't count the amount of times my fingers have traipsed uh, past an issue of Atari Force in, in the cheapy bins. Not recently, but, uh, you know, in my lifetime, I've breezed by many an issue of Atari Force. And, yeah, I yeah, admire the art. Never took the plunge for whatever reason. Didn't buy it when it was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, never scooped it up uh, since its publication. So I, w- I was very happy that um, the, a lot of the, the patrons leaned into Atari Force because it gave me a really good excuse. Mm. What? I don't know about a lot. I think it was, it's not a majority, but a good amount of people. I mean, when you saw, when you see something come up like five, six, seven times, like that's... Mm, yeah, we didn't. Not this. Oh, well. <laughs> I okay. think we were just happy to see it and let's talk Oh, about no, it. and 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 as we... Okay, so we want to make sure we give credit where it's due to everybody who did suggest Atari Force. Uh, who should know better because it isn't in print unless you want to go back issue hunting. Um, shout out to our boy, Cliff Lewis. Yep. End of story. That's it. That's the tweet. <laughs> Cliff <laughs> recommended it, and mm-hmm. thank you for that. Yeah. So, Tap, uh, how about you? Uh, I read it as it was coming out. Um it uh i didn't i didn't read every single issue i wasn't able to get every single issue as it was coming out there were uh there are definitely covers that um that just instantly bring me back and uh i knew all the characters but i didn't i i i don't know what happened but uh yeah i wasn't i wasn't reading it towards the end of uh of of the series so i didn't um i mean i knew i knew about the reveal leading up in the first year and uh i I knew the fates of some of the characters but i didn't know um what our heroes were going to do um after uh the first arc wrapped up but it's um it is something that you know when i do see it I, i i grab the issues when i can but um it is one of those things where it it's it, it's just something I think of fondly when I think of um, reading early to mid eighty DC comics, and and um, so it, it you'll find out it, the series did not last long, but it's still something that uh, it, it's I don't know if I call it a cult classic, but it is just something that the, those of us who I guess were there, like Cliff, um, it's just something you think about and and you do recall when when you think about you know the good times you had growing up reading comics and things like that it was it was different but i was i was there i i bought i bought a handful of issues here and there as they were coming out um and it was uh yeah i i had a blast revisiting them this week but i was i was there this was one that i could actually say that uh like Vince normally does, I, I was reading it as they were coming out. Yeah, flipping the script here. Um, so this this book came out from uh, in January '84 through August '85. Uh, so I, I was 
to no one's surprise, not reading. Uh, I mean, that, that's right. That's basically right when I started reading comics, just in general. And uh, and uh, as we've talked about many times, I was almost exclusively a, a Marvel guy uh, as a kid. Um, so I didn't read this then. I, I did pick up some of the issues. Um, I, I mean, I don't even remember when, but but there was a period of time when I was getting back into comics heavy and discovering DC. And I would go to my comic shop uh, and buy back issues anytime that there was uh, I could. I would you know buy droves, and so I did buy a few of these issues. I never did get the entirety of the series though. Um, so it, it was weird because like my basically the the answer is I, this this past week is the first I read the entirety of of the twenty issues. But I I was surprised in that uh, I certainly had read. Um, there were beats. There were beats of of the first few issues that were familiar. Um, so I must have perused an issue or two back at some point, but I don't really remember anything specific. So yeah, this was the first time I like consumed it in its proper form from start to finish. There were um, as as I was, I am. Listen, I there are a few reasons why I am. Not a supporter. I am not a fan of um, of pirating books. But yes, aside from it, you know, being theft. But the one thing I I miss when I do read a CBR or CBZ is that you don't you generally, unless it's some of the older books where they they do do the cover to cover, uh, you're not getting. You're not getting ads. You're not getting a lot of back matter. You're not getting some of what I would consider the good stuff. And I, I do want to, um, I appreciate whoever scanned in these Atari Force issues for also including uh, Dick Giordano's Meanwhile column because I spent a lot of time rereading those this past week because um, those are a little memory capsules alone but it, it definitely helped me pretend i was a little kid a, a, a teenager reading uh, not even a teenager reading reading those issues when they were coming out mm-hmm. yeah i think you need to put the issue the series in perspective uh mm-hmm. as far as what else was was uh popular around the time of the first issue this series is hot on the heels of Return of the Jedi. It didn't come out too long after the the third of of the Star Wars movies. Transformers were coming up around the time of this, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, you have, you had a bunch of pop culture stuff just finding audiences. Like, I, this is the first time around Transformers. Um, you know, then you had before you had the Micronauts and stuff. You had companies, comic companies, trying to latch on to these hot properties that would eventually become that they would hope would become really big, right? And I think that's what was intended for this. Like, hey, Atari, these kids love the video games. Let's do a comic tie-in and or of sorts, which not really, but it has the name, right? So fandom was was like ramping up around this period. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the cartoons were starting to GI Joe, all that stuff. So uh, to you also have to keep in mind what was 
the biggest selling book of this period, and we said it was Uncanny X Men. And having read these now, I, I I think it's laughable how much this book tries to emulate what, <laughs> what was going on in Uncanny X Men. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of similarities to X-Men. Yeah, I definitely feel some of that. Um, and it's always tricky, right? Because certainly DC and Marvel have spent the good chunk of their existences piggybacking off of each other, right? I mean, mm-hmm. one might even argue Marvel exists, the Marvel superhero world exists because of, of, of that, right? Which is, you know, Stan saying, we right. need our own super comics. Um so yeah, I'm with you there. Um, it's not blatant though. It, it, right. it it's X Men in spirit because y- you have your Berserker right the, in, in Pack Rat. Don't get don't get Pack Rat pissed off because he <laughs> freaks out and he, he's you know he's feral and hairy and so there's your Wolverine analog and then you have um, I see a lot of Storm in in Dart. I see a lot of Gene in Dart. Right it, the Babe is one could argue one of the larger characters of the X Men, but um, Tempest's power is really, really, really close to Kitty Pride's, with, with the fact that she phases in and out, but he jumps through dimensions and has the ability to jump part ways through a dimension, like putting his part of his body somewhere else. Kitty can do that, right? I just think that they 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 saw what was going on with X Men and they said, hmm. Let's try and make this book is using the things that we're seeing at the other company that are hitting really hard. Let's try and put some of that in here, but let's not make it blatant. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, th- there are some conceits. Uh, anytime we talk about comics that are not new, we always have to acknowledge like when they come out because there are certain structural and tonal conceits to the time, right? So like, before opening up these books, if you told someone, okay, it's a 1984-85 superhero book, like, if you're, if you've been a fan for a long time, you're going to have conceptions as to what that's going to feel like, right? Just like if you're like, oh, it's a mid-90s superhero book, you're going to, you know, you're going to have your mind have a picture of what, what to expect. And um, and I will say that, um, you know, I've said many times that when we revisit books of a certain era that I have nostalgia for, I'm much more forgiving of the tropes that I think haven't aged well because I'm nostalgic for it. Whereas if we've read stuff that I just have no prior exposure to quite often, it can feel like a slog. And, you know, you, I think you brought up a couple weeks ago, Vince, like the idea of uh, like X-Men itself. I mean, if, if, if you never read the Claremont X-Men and it's 20, you know, it's 2022 and you've heard all about it and you pick it up, it's, it's, it's not likely going to hit you in the same way. Right. Exactly. It's, it's going to feel very of its time and labored and wordy. And um, so, so I going into this, I was mentally prepared to not enjoy it as much as say like a cliff who's just, or David who, who read it when it's people who read it coming out or read it years ago when it, you know, I just thought, okay, well there, I'm not going to vibe with this in the way that that they do. Um, It's almost going to be more like a history assignment. Uh, and I'm have to keep that in mind as I read it and kind of slog through it. And I have to say that I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, much like I remember when we did um, when we when we talked about uh, um, Manhunter, like same thing. Like I, even though this is of its time and there are certain 
concepts, tropes, the look and feel are are certainly early eighties. I I found this to be a a pretty smooth, engaging read. I, I um, there there's the I think there's there's one issue I, I believe it's the first one that Baron takes over where it's they spend half the issue like recapping what happened for 13 issues and it's like okay we just read that but but that being said other than that I I really was surprised at how well this read um uh, I pleasantly surprised and and I I found it quite quite like this and I'm talking about the structure like the structure and the tone and the the dialogue didn't feel overly verbose to me I didn't feel like there was too much exposition again 80s comics are going to have going to be expository you can't avoid it but I didn't think there was too much and uh, it this definitely skewed on the side of, of 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 this of the of a comic that I thought aged well because um, lots of comics of its of its era did not. That uh, was my experience. You know, I don't know if you felt the same as having read it for the first time. Well, I was very surprised that even though it, the the main storyline, which what was it, thirteen issues, right, Jerry Jerry Conway, the the book was written by a guy that is primarily known for his Marvel work, Amazing Spider-Man, and and other things. This book, even though it's from a Marvel writer, this book feels like a DC book from the very first issue. Uh, to, to me, it has an Omega Man feel to it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, it's neat that, I, I don't know if Jerry was just buying into the DC approach but this book does not feel in any way like a marvel book other than its similarities to the x-men but i mean the 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 character design the the sci-fi adventure um theme to it the the uh various um the actually the pacing of the book feels very very dc to me uh, maybe I'm just looking at the the publisher on the front cover and saying, oh, "Okay, it's a DC book." But no, the spirit of the book is is I think totally DC for the time, and I, that's a good thing. I, I expected um, being very familiar with Jerry Conway's uh, Amazing Spider-Man run, which is my favorite run of the book ever, and I, I, I expected that kind of approach, and he didn't. He 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 tailored the work. To I guess mesh well with the with the the publisher's output because like I said, it's a DC book all the way. Mm-hmm. It, it even has a Teen Titans feel in some spots, and uh, it did, yeah, I think the uh, I will say it's a wordy bitch. It's there's a <laughs> there's a lot of dialogue in it, uh, and I didn't I didn't relish the experience reading it on the screen. That's that's not my first choice. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe that's why I didn't read all 20, because um, I, I don't enjoy reading things digitally. But in this case, you kind of have to, because what are the alternatives? Uh, take months trying to round up all of the issues or read the trade paperback that doesn't exist. So, you, you know, you read it the way it you, you read it in, in the format in which you can. So, you know, uh, that is neither here nor there. But. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, well, let's get into it. Um, I, I, like I said, this is going to be if if we go beat by beat, this episode will be a million minutes long. Yeah, because well, so let's be clear. You, you so you read what you didn't read all twenty. So what did you read? I read uh, one to thirteen. 
Okay, so you stopped and you didn't read the Baron stuff. Okay. No, no. I, I read the preview issue, and I read 1 to 13. And, I mean, Depp, I know you just said you read the whole thing as it was coming out, but what did you reread? I, I, I read it all, including the, uh, the, okay, the one-shot yeah, special at the end. So I did, I, I did as well. Okay. Um, but, I mean, I think we should touch upon the fact that before we get into the story, uh, stories uh, of this, this series, I think it's a crime. It's criminal that this book is not readily available, at least the, mm-hmm. the first chunk of it. Because, yeah. because look, having experienced Garcia Lopez's art and Ross Andrews' uh, performance on this, there are some pages in, in the first um, 13 that could challenge the best pages ever. There are pages mm-hmm. in this thing that the figure work is impeccable. The you know the, the panel composition layout design everything about this book is top tier, mm-hmm. and and the fact that that this isn't available for new readers to experience that is really sad to me. Yeah, no, and I agree. I mean, I think it's masterfully done. I think I I know I just was talking about the nostalgia angle of the dialogue and whatnot and how that can be tricky. I I have to say, um, in in the last few years revisiting some works that i loved as a kid most notably like the gi joe comic i was just stunned rereading it how you know much love to people involved like how how crappy a lot of the art was like as a kid i didn't see it that way right because it was like the characters and from this you know toy line and cartoon that i loved but but like in reading it from the lens of someone who's been reading comics for 40 years i was like god damn like a lot of these interiors are like like pretty terrible i mean they're like you know the line work is rushed and it's just unfinished and just just looks shoddy and uh to your point i mean this was a beautiful book i mean the the every pretty much every panel is stunning and and it's so well drawn and i i I, do you think that made that made spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down i mean that i think that definitely helped me connect with this book um even though i had no nostalgia for it my well, I'll just spill the beans right off the bat. Um, visually, my favorite issue is issue eight. That's a uh, Babe story, where <laughs> I don't know if it was intentional, but there are some pages where Garcia Lopez, you would swear that it's Alex Toth. There, in just the Toth's uh, approach to to composition, and and. Uh, Distilling the lines down to the the the, the bare minimum uh, spot, like the black work. It's just I think issue eight is is the pinnacle of the uh, the run. I mean that's not to slight all the other issues. That's like trying to pick a diamond out of a basket of diamonds. Like they're all beautiful, but this one issue eight just like shines a little bit brighter for me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's just really sad that that this stuff hasn't been preserved like and and when one thinks the reason is legal like that's that's like the worst reason in the world yeah I, speaking as someone who who doesn't have the capacity for that kind of thought uh the fact that there are you know companies involved in this that that for whatever reason haven't played nice to get this thing out like that that's just a piss poor reason not to have uh, not to archive this beautiful piece of art well, it's the same thing with wrong right 
Oh, and heavy, and well, up until a, a couple of years, like a handful of years ago, the heavy metal movie that was mired in legal, oh, yeah. you know, wranglings. I'm not saying it's a masterpiece, but uh, you know, you're keeping the the creative endeavors of these brilliant people from perpetuating, from existing in another form for a new audience just because of money. Well, look well, at Miracle Man, right? I mean, how many yeah. times is that supposed yeah. to be going to be going to be collected? And- yeah, and and I say this, you know, not having uh, I'm uh, Jason's the businessman. I I just I don't care about that kind of stuff. All I care about is the art. Like this is this is something that should be everlasting. It should be infinite. Uh, people two hundred years from now should be able to fire up whatever. They read things in 200 years from now and, and enjoy the beauty of this work. And who knows? They probably won't. It's just going to fade away because it, it hasn't been uh, archived properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that, that, that blows. So the, um, what, what, a, what one thing that I, while rereading it, that I appreciated uh, when you think about it at the time and you think about um, I mean not including the New Teen Titans but you think about like the Justice League of America um, or any issue of, of DC Comics which is things like that most of the DC characters most of our heroes in the DC universe are all friendly they're all cordial to one another there's not a lot of conflict not a lot of uh, arguing and that is so not the case with Atari Force, and and it's it is a it's an odd group, and and I can't wait to hear how Jason thinks about feels about the first few issues with the whole band coming together. But I well, mean, I was smiling when I was reading it because I'm like, this is Jason's shit. Yeah, it, and it's time. it's not a quick thing. It takes no, like, it takes oh, no, forever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love it. It's so so. So our heroes, I mean, right at the first issue, you, they're, they're letting you know who really you should be kind of rooting for uh, in this series. And uh, so we have Dart, uh, Aaron Bia, Singh, O'Rourke, and, uh, and Tempest, of course, with, with the hair and, and the bandana. He's the cool 80s kid. Uh, is Christopher Champion. And then there's, of course, Christopher's dad, fucking Dick. Martin Champion, uh, who's got his own baggage and and is resentful towards his son uh, for reasons that he shouldn't be, as we all find out. And it's a piss um, poor reason. It's a dumb. It reason. is absolutely is. Yeah. And uh, and and there is uh, Morphia, who is assigned to Atari Station, and and specifically Martin Champion. Uh, she's she's basically a doctor. And um, Packrat, uh, Tukla Orly, who is basically a stowaway, and 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 we'll get to his inclusion in the group later, um, which is very similar to Babe from from the Planet Egg. Babe is an egg guy, and for years, and it's still, <laughs> even when I was reading it when it was coming out, and I'm rereading it this week, I don't know what it is about Babe. Every time they refer to him. As a he or a boy or a male, I'm just like, no, I, I don't know what it is about the shape or the face or there's just something about Babe that I always immediately when it was first when, when during the whole 
Atari Force has come in and, and we had all the previews and all these little house ads and whatnot for years. And I still really can't shake it. I just, I, I envisioned Babe, and maybe it's the name, I envisioned Babe as a female. I don't know what it is. It's still, it, it's still it's hard for me to shake for reading it now. Um, and of course, there's Babe. So uh, Babe is basically the, it, literally the the child of the group and, and Morphea uh, basically kind of... Uh, takes him under her wing she she's more or less uh the child's guardian um and then off and on we get blackjack who is uh who is who is dart's lover um and uh also her would be killer as we find out but i just thought the whole introduction of it and that you know there was a couple of the characters looked cool and 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 acted cool and that that that's you could kind of get behind that that those were the, who the fans were going to follow um but it is very easy to dislike martin and of course i mean he's he's an adult and 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 he's you know so even if you're a kid reading this he's not somebody you're going to be kind of rooting for anyway and the fact that he's um you know he's so not like uh the professor x for example it's just it's it's for vince's x-men analogy it's just it's but morphe it is morphe yeah, morphe yeah. is and, very and will, you know and, and i will and because and i don't know if it's a i don't know if it's just me being blind to it and i just i'm just focused on what's in front of me or because i was reading it when it was coming out i definitely understand i i i'm hearing you and i i, I get the connection but even as as you were describing who pairs off with who, um, it's I, I it I'm not I'm not I'm not saying I'm not seeing it, but I, I'm not I'm not fully on board. And I'm I if I'm in the minority there, that that's cool. I have no problem with it. But it it was it, it was it, there's nothing wrong with absolutely saying that this is what was out at the time. This is what was hot, and these are characters that are very similar. Maybe not in looks, but in 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 the power set and everything. And I I can see that. I, I can see why someone because we love to compare. I can see why that would be a thing. But um, I didn't see it at the time, and, and even after you mentioned it, I, I I'm still having a hard time seeing. It. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I just I'm I'm missing the connection. Well, that's cool as long as you just don't use the apples and origins analogy because it's not. <laughs> no, but but the the thing that's crazy to me is that. A lot of the mythology of this series is based on the preview, which how many people have read? Like, one would guess that not a whole lot of people. Yes, they did put it in two of their popular titles, but when you base an ongoing on a preview and there's not a whole lot of carryover other than Martin. Like, he's the one thing, like, there, there's a lot of events that happen in the preview issue that do filter, they, they trickle through. But mm-hmm. to start a series, not with that, is, it, it just, I think it's a gamble, right? It's like, all this stuff is important, but you didn't read it in this series. It was available in this preview thing. Like, it, it matters, it's important, but you get to experience it secondhand through, it. maybe, I guess what I'm saying is, it seemed to me like they they conceptualized, they, they brainstormed this Atari Force series, 
and or and they they did the preview and they crossed their fingers and when the you know responses came back maybe they weren't as as positive as they would they had hoped so they flipped the script and did something else but they didn't totally discard all the stuff that they worked on for the preview because this series is very unlike the preview in in mm-hmm. you know thematically visually all mm-hmm. of that i mean even though the preview was done by ross andrew the and uh, Dick Giordano, the um, this is this is a more traditional for the period DC sci-fi series, and it it looks, I mean, it, and it benefits from that. So maybe they learned their lesson with the preview, and the the previews. It feels like a, a gold key comic to me, or like a Dell comic. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. It, yeah. it does not feel like a DC book. Um, so maybe. Things were said and and uh, numbers were crunched, and they decided to take it in a different direction. And I think it to their benefit. Like this is the the the, the twelve thirteen issues that I read were far better than that preview. If the pre they continued mm-hmm. with the story from that preview, I prob- we probably wouldn't be reading it today, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying it was bad uh, per se, but it was just kind of by the numbers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no, that's fair. And 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 you, t- I mean, you you hit you hit the nail on the head, obviously. And I love you that you were reading this, thinking of me when you're reading it. But oh yeah, yeah I mean, this this is getting the band together at its at its best. I mean, this is slow, slow protracted. Know, they, like they oh. take they take each they give us a chance to meet each character who has their own little arc that gets them to the team. And I'm I'm here for that. That's my thing. You know. Now normally, like you alluded, it, it would be it would probably happen faster um, to kind of get going. And then, or if it takes this long, it would be because the series is going to go on for a long ass time. Now, to be fair, I mean, when they were starting the series, they didn't know how long it was going to go for. And, um, you know, back then, back then comics got a much longer leash uh, on goings. Ongoings didn't just, you know, these days you, we don't blink an eye at a 20 issue run. We think, Oh, that was a good run. <laughs> you know, like it feels like a pretty decent run for a title. But, uh, but back then, I mean, that was a pretty short, if not shockingly short, uh, run, um, for an ongoing. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm, so I'm not saying it's a criticism, but yeah, I mean, they, they spend, a, you know, they spend what, uh, I guess five, five, six issues, uh, before the team really forms into its, into yeah. the into its formative state, so um, it's crazy. It. Around around issue five is when we see strife. I mean, Dark Destroyer is when he kind of reveals himself <laughs> to uh, to the team. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It, um, it, if if Atari Force was a was a, a movie, it would be sixteen hours long, and the team would finally get together <laughs> around hour ten. Show. It'd be it'd be a streaming show. Yeah, it's it's crazy how much leeway or how much because, how much I breath mean, they they allow these characters in getting from point a to new earth like you know they're all making a beeline for new earth right through intent or you know circumstance they're they're gonna wind up at new earth right but it's just adventures within you know the bowels of a ship and and the this character removed from his home world by a a, a shit heel who just wants to throw yeah. him and sell him into slavery like it's just it's neat how they allowed each member's story to they progress 
a pace. Like they didn't um, force. There's nothing forced in this. It's it's breezy in some spots. For our younger, not just our possibly younger listeners, but for newer comic book readers, this was a time when writing or waiting for the trade wasn't the thing no this wasn't right, you right. didn't you 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 weren't the reason why this we're is still waiting for fresh. the trade <laughs> well yeah <laughs> i it, it, this is from an era where they just wrote each issue every month and you read it and you moved on there and, and you know you could go back issue on thing and, and look for things that you may have missed but there was no i'll just wait for the collection like we do when we right. read previews this month it's like yeah all right that's a four issue miniseries i'll wait for the hardcover maybe right. i'll get one but it's just it, this was so the fact that yeah it was was a different time obviously when it came to making comics but uh we also those of us who were here for this particular story but uh we didn't mind because we just knew it would continue next month and we would, you know, read the next chapter and uh, see where our heroes land. But, um, but yeah, I, I like that it, it was, and it was, it uh, didn't feel like it was daunting. It just, it, it, uh, you know, Conway is obviously a very capable writer. Um, but I also didn't mind that, uh, you know, you just might have, and, and I think it worked well because you had Garcia Lopez on art and it's who else is going to just, make somebody standing there having a conversation look cool. I yeah. just, I, I just love the way you could just be like Martin champion sitting in the chair and Morpheus standing over him or, or, or Tempest going through the maze. And then he goes, you know, over to the professor venture. It's just like, there's, there's just, it's, it's just the way he illustrates the story. It's, it, it just flows smooth. And, and, and there's no, you're not, you're not bothered or put out just because, you know, it, at no point did I feel like it was dragging while I was reading. No, and uh, to give credit where it's due, uh, both Garcia Lopez and Ross Andrews' style of laying out a page does not lend itself uh, very well to pulling a single image from a page to use, <laughs> you know, for promotional terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, they they're they're interlocking carefully designed and balanced works of art each page so to to pull something out like that's not what kind of book this is um and, and i think that's great because it, they're not they're not formatting the page based on anything other than telling the story the way they feel it should be uh plotted and laid out right and mm-hmm. now we see how many times do we read comics today where, you know, you'll get a splash page and it's just the character standing there? Like, that yep. is not how this book works. The 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 big beats, the panels are larger. Uh, you know, it's right there on the page. If, if, the, if there's a, a, a story point that is of major importance, of course they're going to make the panel bigger, more real estate for the, the magnitude of the event. But there's not there's no pinups in this. Well, there is, but it's in the Ohatmu pages in the back of the book. Well, those should be pinups. But like, like I said, it's it's the it's the antithesis of the contemporary approach where visual style over uh, adherence to the the story. These mm-hmm. guys were all about telling this story. It's not the way it's done these days by many. No, that is true. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, 
I yeah, and I, I have to say, I think that uh, like the, there, the you know there there are things about the comic as I was reading it that I thought were funny and and like and when weird, you know, like it wasn't perfect. Like they were like, oh, like. I mean, but but it was quirky, and I I didn't mind them. Like I thought it was all kind of part of the charm. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned Babe. Like uh, to me, I, I I would be shocked. I I didn't see any interviews, or I don't know if there've been interviews by Conway or whatever. But like Babe just seemed to me to be a giant alien version of Baby Huey. Like I assume that's who Babe was built was patterned after, was Baby Huey. Because you were saying Dappy, you see it as as a girl, but I I just saw it as Baby Huey in a. DC comic because Baby Huey was this for those that don't know and this is like going back to like our our parents age but Baby Huey was a <laughs> cartoon character that was a gigantic oversized uh, um, baby boy uh, who you know was like the size of a you know like the thing and he would sit around and had a diaper and a binky and that sort of thing it just that's what <laughs> Babe strikes me as what, was it Evan Dorkin that did the strip a parody of Baby Huey. I don't know. And it was called Giant Retarded Duck. Oh, my God. No, it was. Hey, me. I, I think it was oh Evan Dorkin, yeah. Yeah, it was either yeah. Evan Dorkin or it could have been Johnny Ryan, maybe. I mean, I got, it sounds I, like something Ryan would do. I yeah. got to look it up, but it, it's it's pretty funny. But look, Jay, oddly enough, Jason, Baby Huge Retarded Duck. Huge Retarded. Who did that? Um, it, Bill Ray uh, with... Stephen DiStefano on art. Okay, I'm wrong. That's it weird. was in Hellboy Junior. Yes, yes. Okay, Hilarious. yeah. Because I wow. mean, me and that wouldn't, that wouldn't be that wouldn't fly today. No, Marty and I lost it when we saw that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> retarded. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, but Jason Babe is my favorite character. Sure. Okay. <laughs> you I, don't. I, I, no, I mean that's cool. Like, what? Okay. I was actually going to ask who are, who your favorite characters were. I will say um, Tempest is way more Kylo Ren than Luke Skywalker. Like, <laughs> like emo wasn't a thing back in the eighties. They didn't. We didn't have too many stories about emo kids. But like Tempest is a, is, a, is a little bitchy. Like, like dude is like well, he, he needs love. And his, yeah, his, I mean his sister is you know half a galaxy away. Uh, yes, yeah, sis- daddy doesn't love me. Yeah. No, wait a minute. Wait, a minute. I, I, I like the fact that you said that they're, they're, um, fighting. Like they're, they're more. To your point, they're more in the Marvel uh, vein. Like they're, they, they get on each other's nerves and they right, squabble. Yeah. But that one scene where she, where they, they make out, yeah. where, where Dart just like locks yeah. lips with him, and I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, and then, wait, and wait. Then he's and like, then oh, sister, he's like huh? big sister, huh? yeah, yeah. it yeah. just, just came out of nowhere, and I'm like, what? I never played up on, I but I, I think up. the one that really wanted, I to wonder get... if the editors were like, bro, you can't like, like I know they're not blood brother and sister, but you can't. Well, do when this. was Empire Strikes Back? Was that uh, all right? So you're saying, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that oh, really that's true. Yeah. wants to get in Tempest's pants is the professor. She made oh, for sure. Oh, one hundred percent. Oh, she, and Garcia Lopez draws her basically in lingerie. Like every time she's there right. talking to Tempest, and she's like, she's like, oh mom, yeah, silk lingerie. I'm his surrogate mother and all this, and she's you know she's very matron. Well, not matronly, but she yeah. dotes on him, and she's she, so, oh, oh no, she's oh, for sure totally. And she's she's the sexiest. Like she's, she and she's, Garcia Lopez she's draws her mad sexy. She's you, a cougar now. You put a there's super. A, there's a Mrs. Robinson situation. Yeah, but she's super intelligent. She wears her hair in a bun. Love the cigars. The, oh my god she smokes yeah, cigars so uh, yeah it's ridiculous 
bad breath. The um, no, oh, it's the future, on. bro. There's no bad breath. It's it's, it's three years in the future. <laughs> uh, my 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 favorite is uh, is dark, but I do have to wonder if before Jason tells us his, I'm look because in the first issue. We don't see Martin Champion until a few pages into the second issue when right. Morphea finally gets into the gets an open the door. Sure. I do wonder looking at the first issue cover, if Garcia Lopez added Martin at the end because he's not in the issue. But obviously it's a promo image for the entire team. But he's off there in the corner almost like just like right an after- oh, you gotta draw him in, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, so it looks I'm, like an afterthought. You're right. Right. Yeah. right. I do wonder that. Uh, if, maybe if you I'll, look I'll at the cover members and heroes. Yeah, if you look at the, the the composition of the cover, the the side with Babe, right? If you yep. take Martin out, that's a much more pleasing composition yes, than absolutely. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. That's like, oh shit, I gotta squeeze him in. Yeah. It's almost imbalanced the way it is now. It's yeah, true. Yeah, especially he's running. Yeah. And you got a lot of space on the on the left that really above pack rat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I I mean, I think probably Dard is got to be my favorite too and i and i would say that's probably but i mean i would imagine that was their intent right i mean to, yeah. to make dark most people's favorite but um, she's my blueprint i will say that what got it for me is 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 when she's working out in the danger room to Vince's yep. x-men analog, yep. and she's all tatted up and i'm like oh mm-hmm. shit I'm like, she's covered in ta- half of her body's in tats i'm like oh snap <laughs> oh shit yeah, I mean David could poo-poo it, but this looks a lot like X Men. I don't care what he says. <laughs> I'm not poo-pooing it. Bro. Oh, he didn't say it wasn't. He just said he didn't get. No, he doesn't feel it, right? I, yeah. But I um, and and I'll be honest. I mean, I didn't I didn't make the I didn't make the comparison at all during when I as I was reading it. But but as soon as you mentioned it to start the show, I thought oh I could see that. Like I, I but I wasn't reading this thinking oh this is a, this is a DC take on the X Men. I thought. I thought Pack Rat would be your favorite, what with your penchant for one-dimensional feral characters. See, now that, that's dumb. super hurtful. We're <laughs> having a lovely time, and oh. and then you get all hurtful because I, I mean I, I detested Pack Rat. I'm kidding, really? Yeah, I I don't like character design, and I don't like Pack Rat is more wild child than Wolverine, like both feral. tiny, tiny, feral, and 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 amoral and. But he's a berserker. He's got he's got that that hot head. He's a hair trigger. Yeah, but he's a he could be skinny. Sicilian. He's a little skinny. But like why? Is, like he doesn't. Yeah, not not feeling it. Not, yeah. not, I, I not, love the pack rat design. Like David Bowie. Oh yeah, uh, labyrinth. No, not, in fact, of all of the components of this twenty issue arc, pack rat and his brother and that whole narrative, I could have done without. I mean, they no did. They, they did. They did really break new ground with 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 Pack Rat's brother's name with Raiden instead of just. I mean, you just so, so you switch the yeah. O for the. Yeah. I, it's, it's, Come on, it's cute. It's, it's cute. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So I mean, and and of course, I mean, well, right in the. I mean, the third issue, you you, you kick it off with uh, with Dart waking up on the bearskin rug, but the yeah. Uh, she has terrible taste in Dart's, men, though. Dart, Dart would have made a fortune on OnlyFans if this was twenty twenty. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, but, well, well, well with, her, with, with her banging Corsair, I don't know. It's it's just. Oh, but it's, it's not like X Men at all. Not at all. <laughs> uh, and if you look at War Beast, it's Chad. Yes. Come on. So is yes, Dart Hepsipa? Uh, maybe. maybe with the hair. Maybe, maybe. the little skunk thing going. Um. As far as because uh, we're all over the place here, the yeah, the but it's what good, I though. thought about it's good. Oh no no, I love it. it it's the um, 
because once when um after a few issues when uh Jose needs a breather, um probably because he's you know he's gotta put his tryout pages in for the Titans, the uh and, and we get the Andrew pages uh, issues. And I mentioned, you know, Villagran who I don't I've never really considered when I think about the heavy handed inkers over the years, like Palmer, like Jansen, like and, and we know who they are. It's it is weird that I, I don't usually group Ricardo in with that group because I mean I love his work over Tom Sutton on the Star Trek book, but it is very apparent that he's able to make all the pencils on this. But and, and you have you know Garcia Lopez who is extremely detailed and and you've seen his work, whether you know it or not, you've seen Jose's work. But um, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about Evangeline, which which was written, which was drawn by Judith Hunt, and that ricardo inked her as well and that still has that ricardo feel to it so it i think it was absolutely amazing that that uh, it was weird for me to see somebody ink seeing it again seeing somebody ink jose because he does phenomenal work on his own he does not he's he's one of the few artists that i feel never needs an anchor and um i know people do love to ink him did giordano has said so i mean there are people who wouldn't mind i mean kevin nolan does a great job over him um but having ricard it, it was a style that i didn't rereading it i didn't think i would um see mesh but because this was so not gonna say so early in jose's career but it, he, he was he did i'm not saying he needed assistance to get a monthly book out uh, but it was different than because um, you think about those first two issues of DC Comics Presents that he did. Uh, it looks slightly different. Atari Force does, but um, I, I just I love the fact that Ricardo Villagran is is like the thread that just right. makes sure that that it looks beautiful throughout all twenty issues. Well, Garcia Lopez on any of the issues in this run, he's not phoning it in. There are no. some there are some panels. And spreads that are so dense and so just chock full of visual information where if he was, you know, trying to escape the dreaded deadline doom, he could have reduced the amount of of content. But he didn't. There's like uh, brawls in here that have like 10, 12 characters in them. It's, It's insane. I think there might be a couple of pages towards... The end towards his last day. Oh well, it's also because um, actually that's not true because I'm I'm flipping through issue twelve now, and Bob Smith inks Jose, mm. uh, and there are a couple of pages towards the end of the main issue, main main feature that um, I don't know if Jose just did breakdowns or was a little looser or because I don't think I don't think Bob Smith is is somebody who would run roughshod over someone's pencils i think I, and again it could be just you know it was a time crunch and he wanted to make sure you know he's got the titans issues to work on because that's why he left the book um but it's not as as tight as it was in earlier issues and especially with ricardo onings well uh smith put his coletta coupeline on and started erasing shit i it, it, it may very well be <laughs> But, no, I, I just think uh, that that one panel early in the in the run, where the the big bad 
is kneeling down um and he's he he picks up the artifact from the the planet and it just the way it looks like there's a maelstrom behind him and the the way that garcia lopez just manipulates the line work into this it looks like there's a storm going on and, and and stuff is coming into the panel from the lower left it's just a beautiful well-constructed panel but you can say that about every panel in this mm-hmm. that it's just um a, a virtuoso performance by somebody who wasn't at this time regarded as the maestro that we've we've come to regard him as mm-hmm. it's just crazy it seems like he just sprung from whatever um, artistic egg, uh, in, you know, in which he was formed, complete, perfect. Uh, the, I see a lot of uh, his his uh, current work, the style of his current work. In this, he hasn't really right, uh, yeah. changed all that much over the years, and that's because he was phenomenal to begin with. So, where are you going to go? from phenomenal like can you really get that much better than phenomenal well yeah experience has probably taught him a lot of of hard-won lessons uh in solving visual problems but i i don't think there was you know a lot of that learning because you look at this book and it's just like god how much better can it get i must say i did not know that this was uh like early garcia lopez interiors I didn't it doesn't look like it right it looks yeah. like this is an experienced uh you know uh industry worn talent who's been doing it for decades it doesn't look mm-hmm. like a relatively new new guy it, or gal it's amazing mm-hmm. now let me ask uh you can't speak on this vince because you only read it through 13 but Dap, did you feel any different like less more about the comic once Baron took over as writer. Uh, no, I I mean there were knowing that Mike Baron was writing it, there were little things that I'm familiar with uh, regarding Baron where some of it, it, it's it's weird. Part of me because of the circumstances and the environment and, and our, the, the, the situation the characters were in, um, I could see some attitudes, not, not, not straight personalities changing, but I could see some attitudes kind of shift a little bit, but, uh, there were things that, um, that weren't necessarily so they weren't really Mike Barony. It didn't feel like, it didn't feel like mm-hmm. I was really reading a Mike Barron comic. It's still, he was, because it wasn't something that he he had created, or it wasn't something that, um, and yeah, he, he did write Punisher for a while. But it, it, it these were these were characters that um, he wasn't there at the beginning, so he was kind of picking up where where Conway had left off. So it, it it didn't. I wasn't I wasn't put off by it. It didn't. It 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 was the same, but slightly yeah. different as far as I was reading it. Uh, in terms of Mike Barron, I'll be totally honest. If Mike Barron had never written Nexus, I probably wouldn't be a Mike Barron fan because I can't right. recall anything written by the man other than Nexus that I came away from saying, man, that was great. 
Mm-hmm. He's like the George Lucas of comics. Nexus is a perfect little beast. It's great. But when he steps outside that, that universe, like the Punisher stuff, it was okay. Mm-hmm. But but it, it, I can't recall any specific moments of, of greatness from his Punisher run. Whereas Nexus, there's tons of things within that that big chunk of of uh story that is i mean he's amazing in nexus it's just like that's some artists or, or some some creators you get one really really great thing out of them and then a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff that pays the bills i think nexus is that thing for him it is it's a masterpiece but his other stuff and eh. i uh, yeah and, i'm with you like i'm not crazy like- about badger either i think badger okay. stinks well, I, I mean, I, yeah, no, I, I guess I'm, I wouldn't go as far as to say it stinks, but I, it doesn't mean much to me. But I'm with you. Like, I think that, like, Baron's longest run outside of Nexus was certainly the Punisher, right? I mean, he did what, uh, at least close to no more than fifty issues. Um, and if you count War Journal, then like probably what 70, 65, 75 yeah. issues. But like, and that's all good. Like, I mean, I enjoyed that. It was coming out, but, but like. I think we would all agree that like the best Punisher stories aren't those stories. No, oh no. Right. So it's like, like to a sports analogy, like when people debate players, I'm always like, well, were they? Was there a period of their career where they were the best? And if they weren't, then I'm not a fan of like putting them in the Hall of Fame, even if they ended up having a very like extremely impressive career overall. Kind of like that. It's like, well, I know you wrote a lot of Punisher, including much of the formative Punisher, but like. He didn't write the best Punisher, so right. So I'm with you. Like, yeah, I mean, listen, Baron Baron had a hell of, I mean, hell of a career. I mean, dude's in the '70s now. He's he's written a shit ton of comics. So props to him. Yep. But I'm with you. Like, to me, it's like when I think of Mike Baron, I I I think of Nexus, and that, and you know what? It a lot of comic writers would die to have something oh, hell the greatest yeah. Nexus yep, that sure. they're known yep, for. So yep. I mean, you yeah. could sleep very very soundly if you created Nexus for and sure, not yeah. only created it. But um, are responsible for that that big chunk of of narrative, and there's really not a lot of downturn to Nexus. I, I think um, the series remains strong through its entire run. There's there's some goofy stuff mm-hmm. when they started with the miniseries. As not as good as the 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 original run, but still very very well worth reading. But man, when when he and Steve Rude were 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 hot, man, that book was uh, it was one of the things I read as soon as I got it. I, I just think it's it's masterfully done. I, like I, well, but I can't. Yeah, I can't. Com- I can't comment on his Atari Force because, like Jason said, I didn't read it. So. I'm Bill, well, I'm Bill I, that, I, mean, I kind of agree with you, Dap. Like I was, I, there was a moment where, because I going into this, I didn't know that um, Baron uh, and Beretta took over. Like I, I assumed it was, it was uh, Conway and Garcia Lopez f- for the duration. Um, so then when I saw that, I was like, there was a moment like, oh no, like is it gonna, like oh, are these last seven issues going to be just a massive drop off? Are we going to be like, oh man, that was. But no, I'm with you. Like I, I didn't. I think partially because so much of the of the book is a build up to that to that battle, and then it ends the way it ends. You know, the 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 Conway 
segment ends the way it ends, I, there is a part of me that thinks, man, like, uh, it would have been kind of dope as fuck to just end the series that way. Right. Um, so, like, but but with that said, I, I since they choose chose not to end the series that way, I thought the seven issues that Baron and Barreto did were good. I, I didn't yeah. think, like, I thought, to your point, like, they were pretty true to form. I didn't, I didn't sense... I talked the other day about um, my disdain for reading like the Spider Woman comic because it was a, it was fine, but it just felt like a, 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 a an eighty percent fidelity photocopy of of what came before it by hope you know with Hopeless and and, and Rodriguez and and I I was prepared for that vibe from the Baron issues. I'm like, oh, this is going to be like seventy five percent of what we just got. But I don't think it was. It was more like ninety-five percent. It was. It was. It just felt like 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 if you didn't if I didn't see Baron's name, uh, in the byline, and I just read this straight through in and yeah, I, I wouldn't have you you know I wouldn't have been surprised if you told me like it was all written by Conway. And there were a couple moments where it looked like uh, he was not not breaking the fourth wall. A little meta. Like there's one. Um, I think it was the last issue. Where, um, where before they, uh, after they're done with the, yeah, so they, they leave, they leave the council, um, they're like, you know, the fuck all y'all with, with, with your rules and your laws and, and we're out. And, um, and Tempest says to Martin, like, well, dad, what next? We just ran out of script. And I'm like, really? That's, that's, I've never heard that fucking phrase before, but. Now that this is the final issue, and this is you know, the, the, I I didn't I didn't know if I I could see that as Baron being clever or witty, um, and and kind of nudging the reader, um, but it's uh, it was it, it was yeah no I think I I think um, part of me towards those last few, couple of issues with the whole on trial and. Um, Trying to have some, it, it it felt like they were tying, trying to tie up some loose ends with the whole hunter with his vendetta against the champions, and um, and of course the senator because, God forbid, his his daughter falls in love with some mutant freak, and there were some things that um, I think they just wanted to maybe put a little bow on, uh, but I did like the way the series itself ended because they just you know. They went in their little shuttle and poof. I mean, that's it. Who knows where they're going to be next? I mean, I part of me was wondering, you know, whether or not they might have been one of the Earths that uh, were destroyed in Crisis. But the um, well, they allude to Crisis in issue what eighteen, right? I mean, they sort of as they're navigating through the multiverse. Was that there? Was that eighteen? Yeah. Mhm. So there were. Um, they were definitely um, that. Which I think that's probably the only hint that uh, there may be that, that that it could tie into any sort of thing with the with the DC universe. But mm-hmm. um, but no, I had um, yeah, I, I really didn't have I, I yeah, it, 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 having Baron take over um, was fine. And again, it was because you know Conway spreading himself in with yeah. uh, with the Justice League and a few other things, but yeah. Um, and, and admittedly, when I saw Mike Barron's name, I cringed because 
my view of Mike Barron now is much different than when I was reading Nexus and didn't know anything about Mike Barron other than he wrote mm-hmm. Nexus. Like for those that don't know, Mike Barron is you know a comic skater and uh, a very bitter conservative old man uh, who has you know I think pretty re- reductive views about the world. Um, so you know your mileage may vary there, I guess. But but I so like he is he is definitely a name where I see him now. And I'm like I don't want to support him. But again, this came out long, but like this came out fucking you know. 35 40 years ago so i it is fun. i mean it is what it is but i i i was like so i was kind of pleasantly surprised i thought oh i'm like you know like baron is a good writer i mean yeah he's got fucked up views now but about the world but but so do lots of people <laughs> his age so you know uh i i think um there were i mean i would i like to see some somehow someone Revisit it just to find out. I mean, because the the special at the end it, it gives us Dart's origin, which was which was nice. Um, and there's a there's another Hucka story, and um, and then there's a story with with the team minus um, Blackjack and the Taslings. And and I was I went back and tried to skim through it again to see if I might have missed something. Maybe they were off world or something like that. But um it, it it definitely felt like maybe backup stories that would have been backup stories had the series continued. Um because what'd you all think of the backup stories? I I like the one with Taz because it told us what she uh what she was doing before Babe and Huckle landed on the planet. Um the Hucka ones were cute, and and they were definitely. I, I think they were fitting for Giffen to to tackle, because mm-hmm. um, it was just it was something silly and fun, and that's the kind of character that I think he'd have fun with. Um, but you had you had the art by um, Sean Chad. You had uh, Marshall Rogers. Um, it was the backups weren't. I, I, I didn't find the backups offensive. They, they they were fine. It wasn't uh, they didn't they didn't really detract from the main story, but uh, they were kind of easy just to, just to get through, so I could get to the next issue. Yeah, I had no time for them, but I agree they weren't offensive. Like they felt like filler to me. I guess by definition, exactly. Star, and I mean, and they even yeah. And and reading the letters pages, I mean, because because you did have some people. Not Tia Maple, I don't think was one of them, but you did have a couple of readers who were. We're wishing that uh, you know why didn't we just get uh, six more pages for the main story? And and Helfer, Andy Helfer, the editor, he he's explaining. You know, listen, it's it's like whether it's Garcia Lopez or Barreto or whoever, it's like it it these we want to make sure that they're doing the work on the main feature and they can be back again next month. And if um if we're giving them sixteen pages to do instead of a full twenty two or whatever, um then there's consistency with the main story. And plus it gives you some insight on, on the supporting cast or the lesser known, lesser viewed, um, or the spotlight characters, the pack red story. I think the pack red story may have gone on a little too long. I think that was three issues, but, um, which of course being your favorite character, it was a, um, (laughs) it was, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it definitely gave you insight. What I appreciated about the backups were that they did give you insight into, they weren't just, you know, a day in the life or things like that. You actually understood why why Packrat's brother is after him and dislikes him. And, and um, 
and like I said, with Taz or or with Babe when when um, he uh, he got separated from from his home and had to get back, and it, it, it's they, they were cute little stories, and and maybe even tryout stories for some of the creators in, um, involved in in telling them, but. Um, Overall, it was just it was it was a hell of a lot of fun revisiting, man. It, it it's something I think about often, and I know, you know, Cliff brings it up quite a bit, and I I like I said, I know I, I know Dart is his girl, um, and I don't know how often Cliff does revisit. I mean, you know, I, maybe this is his mage or his Grendel. You know, he'll, he'll, he reads it like once a year, or something. I don't know. Um, so I'm curious to know, Aaron, if he doesn't. Cliff, let us know that uh, you know you read along with us and how you feel about it compared to uh, you know God decades ago from when it came out. But I um, I really did have a lot of fun with it. Like I said, with the meanwhile's, I mean, Giordano was talking about he he mentions um, you know he he read he read two scripts, two proposals on his ride in on the Metro North to work that day. One of them was a proposal by Alan Moore who wants to do something with their newly acquired Charlton characters. And he's all in for it. Unfortunately, what, what Alan wants to do would mean that they wouldn't be able to use the characters going forward. And they have a lot of plans with the Charlton characters, including folding them into other DC books. So uh, he's going to propose Alan still tell the story just use different characters not the actual charlton characters and then he does say that you know and a tentative title the tentative working title is the watchman and yep. then he says the other <laughs> project is something from frank miller and it's one of dc's biggest heroes and uh and it's it's it, i read the first issue of a 48 page the 48 page first issue that's going to blow i can't talk about it much yet. i can't tell you who it's about but it is absolutely one of it, it is on the DC's biggest characters and you are going to, and I'm like, Oh my God. And, and, and he talks about, you know, they, they, um, he talks about his side of, uh, like Marvel age, I think number 19 he references because Marvel age 19, Marvel age for those who don't know was Marvel's in-house. I'm not gonna say propaganda, but in-house magazine. And it was, it was just, you know, whatever, all the news that the bullpen had going on and interviews and, and maybe some sneak peeks and things like that. But there was an article in issue 19 of Marvel Age where, and, and for some reason, and, and Dick points this out, it was the only article in the entire issue that did not have a byline. Whoever wrote this was not comfortable signing their name to it. He says, but it was their side. It was, it was Jim Shooter's and Marvel's side of why the JLA, the Justice League of America, Avengers crossover fell apart. And so... You know, there's every story has three sides: yours, mine, and the truth. And 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 so Dick is like, so Marvel got to tell their side. I'm going to talk about how it was from my side, and then the readers can make their determination. But he talks about how at San Diego that year they were going. You know, Jim was like, listen, I didn't get to read the revisions, but I plan to this weekend. And Dick's like, well, I really think you should because I'd really like to talk about some things while we're all together this weekend and we can get this project going which of course it didn't under we we finally get it but just with a completely different uh cast of people behind the scenes except for george and 
Yeah, the, those meanwhiles were just as entertaining to me as, as uh-huh. the main book itself. Shocked, I, I loved shocked. revisiting that shit. Oh my god, I want just I want a collection of of Giordano's meanwhiles. I just I <laughs> I get a, a massive kick out of it. I think it's a really <laughs> good idea. Um, I I don't I don't think <laughs> they would move an exceptional amount of no of, of copies. I don't care if they just sell to me. But I'm all about the, the, the archival, all about the preserving this stuff. If, yes. if, if it's not um, reprinted and doesn't live in another form, it's just going to cease to exist. Yep. And that's criminal. It really is. It really is. I, I, I think Marvel should really uh, focus uh, maybe 1% of their, their trade paperback division to collecting Marvel Age. There's a lot of great yes. interviews in Marvel Age. And, like and this is like Penthouse Forum without the sex. No, and, but for to Marvel's credit, Marvel Age had a lot of original content. Yes, it yeah, was. No, I, I listen. I can't. Fuck, I, I I read Marvel Age religiously. Yeah, so yeah. And, and it and it wasn't just like, oh, here's a page of something coming up. It's like let's interview these guys, and they want to tell you why you should be reading the series coming up, what they invested yep. in the book. Like that's great, and it it helped. It helped reinforce the fact that you know Marvel's just a fun place. It's it's right. Yeah, you're, you're right. reading about you know this is what we do at work. Mm-hmm. You're part of the fun. You're part of the club. You know, ha- have some fun with us. And and you know you didn't you didn't really get that from any other publisher, right? DC included. Right. But no. no, you weren't you weren't in on it. You didn't, you weren't on the joke. You weren't part of you weren't part of the movement. And you know and. This is, they both serve their purpose. If you know, DC just wants to do their thing, and you know you, you guys are the readers, and we're telling you these stories, but Marvel actually made you feel involved and got you behind the scenes, and you actually got to know who the creators were working on the books you were reading. Right. Yep. And if nothing else, it puts some money in Hembeck's pocket. For sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Shout out to Fred. Um, we're an hour and a half plus into discussing this, and we haven't even touched on the. Uh, the plot well, the I, yeah I, I, <laughs> I mean we don't have to go issue for issue but i mean it is worth it just explaining the plot which is that you know look essentially uh the, <laughs> there is a bunch of characters we've referenced some of them dart tempest and the like and they're all in some way loosely connected to uh some more than loosely but they're all connected to the original what we're learning to be is the original atari force which was basically the Atari Force was basically the Challengers of the Unknown. It was a group of, of 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 humans that were adventuring through space, and were scientists. That, that that's essentially the. And, and this is twenty years later, uh, and a few of their kids because they hopped around the multiverse, and I guess just like the Fantastic Four, there were energies involved. Uh, a few of their kids uh, ended up getting some powers. So you got Tempest, who can he's probably the most powerful. He can he can he can basically Nightcrawler esque kind of like port. Or like more like Blink, he can, or or Yana or Rasputin, he can, he can go to other, he can trans, trans tr- travel between different uh, uh, realities, you know, through the multiverse, like with ease, and then come back to his main universe. Uh, and a uh, little emo boy like often likes to go and pout and like be by himself. In he the, uh, he in is the, very emo. Yes, uh, and then his sister is Dapplud, or like his adopted sister Dart. Is um, most people don't even realize she has and, powers, but she she has basically precognition of of, of, yep. of sorts, and it's more like spider sense. Like she she gets yeah. flashes like of pre-cog. potential, yeah, potential outcomes, uh, future outcomes, generally when it's it's grave danger for her or someone she cares about. Like that's, that's I, mm-hmm. she is. They're they're considered 
siblings. There, he, he considers Dart his sister. Hmm. Why? Because Martin wants nothing to do with his right. son. So her parents basically right, raise right. Christopher. Right. Uh, and then through, like we said, the, for the first few issues, you kind of learn about all these different characters. They all have their own journeys. But at some point, um, Martin, who has basically been a hermit for 20 years, but because of the service he did leading the original Atari Force team, the the, the government or the command people essentially give him like like retirement honors. They They put him up in a lab and support him and let him do his thing. And his thing is basically sending probes out throughout the universe, trying to prove that there is this dark force trying to fuck up the universe. And they all think he's nuts. They all think it's bullshit. But because of, of his service to, to the, to the society, they, they, they kind of allow him his dalliances and he hasn't, he's just doing his thing for all this time. And, and after a few issues, we, we come to realize that like there, there is really a, there is truly a ne'er-do-well dark force that uh, he's not out of his mind. And he convinces his son, uh, who's now suddenly, you know, back and, and dart to steal a ship uh, to go and basically uh, prove this. And then, and then, and then defeat the, who we call, we know this, the dark destroyer. And, and and as they're stealing the ship, like all the other characters get involved too, because you got, you got, uh, you know, they're like, they conveniently all find their way onto the ship too. Like, like some by, some by design, some accidentally like pack rat just sneaks on, uh, trying to escape his own issues or her. Uh, but, but like they all basically end up becoming forced. They become teammates, whether they intended to or not. They, they all kind of end up being in on this mission together. And then from there, they're together, and they and they go about battling this dark destroyer, who is alluded to having been like the the major force of the prequel and the prior, you know, issues with the with the, the original team. They thought they defeated this this cosmic entity. I don't know if it's cosmic, but this giant this 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 massive entity that that they saw was like this giant tentacled planetoid type creature. They they thought they defeated it. They didn't. It became the Dark Destroyer, and the Dark Destroyer's whole purpose is to basically get revenge and wants to set off an antimatter bomb to destroy the universe. And uh, and they attempt to uh, stop that, and, you know, since this is Book of the Month, we can spoil. I thought the coolest thing was that in issue 13, the last of their, of Conway's issues and Garcia Lopez's issues, well, no, I guess Garcia Lopez ended at 12, so the last of Conway's issues, they fail. The, the the dark destroyer the, the bomb goes off and it destroys the universe and i thought that was fucking cool because i didn't think that was going to happen and i was like oh that's really cool like they failed like the, the universe is destroyed now they survived because they 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 use tempest power and they shift to another another dimension but but like we are led to believe that the universe is destroyed and uh, we think that for a while because yeah, we don't yeah. see tempest or anybody else for another couple of issues yeah. Now we we do come to find out by the end of it that it wasn't destroyed and and it's kind of like a, you know, an, oh, that's a nice happy ending. But but yeah, like you said for for a bunch of issues we just they they're operating as though they're they're in a new universe. It's different from their prior one and everyone they know is and loved is gone. And I thought, "Well, that's cool. Like you never see that. Like that's cool. Like the the villain kind of won." And so I really like that. I really thought that was neat. Um and the yeah. villain is also the reason why Lydia Perez, Christopher's Tempest mother, 
yeah dies in childbirth it has nothing to do with the fact that you know chris is a mutant and and he caused his mother's demise it which is what martin believed all these years but dark destroyer is is the reason why lydia died yeah. in childbirth and uh, and then went and mutated himself into a different form in in, in a in, right in, in a in an explanation an origin story that only works in comics <laughs> There's a giant planetoid tentacled cosmic being that senses it's about to be destroyed. So it fires off like a pustule of itself in the form of a human brain, flies through the cosmos, finds some weird looking mammalian creature that's about to give birth on some planet, invades that creature. And then that creature, instead of giving birth to presumably a baby version of itself, gives birth to a human boy who then grows to be a full adult in like a matter of days. And that full adult happens to be a perfect genetic clone of Martin champion. <laughs> so like <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense on any level, but no. like it's comics. So you're like, okay, all right, cool. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. But I think it's easy to poo poo or, or to discount or, or hate Martin uh, early in the series because uh, he is surly and he does, project a lot of and his... selfish because even like when he comes back to theoretically make good with his son it's it's for selfish purposes oh, he just wants yeah. to use the computer to sure yep. no no yeah. i i get that but yeah um you know when you walk a mile in the dude's shoes and you've accomplished what he's accomplished like martin is responsible for finding the planet to which all of the human population emigrated like we they yeah. they they, they uh, sucked the life out of planet Earth to the point where it was unlivable. Had to find somewhere else to live, lest the popu- lest humanity be, you know, expunged. So Martin finds the planet. He's responsible for the continuation of the human species, right? And mm-hmm. that that's a pretty big freaking deal. So I I think that gives you a little bit of leeway of of, of sorts. Like you've accomplished a like Superman didn't even do that. Right, so uh, the fact that he does project all of the 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 nastiness he experienced upon his wife's demise on the survivor of the ordeal, it it doesn't make sense. The kid did. I mean, Christopher uh, didn't really uh, contribute to his mother's demise. He was just a baby. He couldn't even if he wanted to, but he was the thing that lived where uh the the mother died so i yeah i can understand it i don't agree with it but you see it many times like that that's a common soap opera trope whatever uh it's been maligned for ever uh but you gotta cut the guy a little bit of slack he saved us all he's he's flash uh he saved every one of us <laughs> so, so you know and and even though his hairline's receding and he's a bit he's approaching tight. you know over the hill the guy still did a major solid to every yep. every person uh, you know alive yes so yes. I, I it's but i i think it's really cool that they took the hero of the prequel and turned him into a unlikable, surly, self-centered asshat in the ongoing. <laughs> yeah. It, again, it, I thought it was a bold choice because even if the you know the people that did 
read and enjoy and and want to follow the the series from the preview this character is not that character i mean some some shit has gone down in between you know the two chapters and that was a really risky and i i think admirable way to do it, it it's creative mm-hmm. you, i did i you didn't expect it yeah agreed uh good stuff right yeah i really enjoyed it like i said i mean i i thought that um it didn't overstay its welcome no it 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 had an it had a i think a logical and satisfying arc that um yeah i mean i i I, again i think it's one of those it's one of those series where um were it more accessible would be on a short list of things where people are you know because every now and then you'll get we'll get listener questions or someone will say hey you know what's like a good you know like non non-well-known little run for Marvel or DC, like that's worth your time that, that I don't have to spend, you know, years catching up on. And yeah, I mean a 12, 20 issue run that, 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 that's, that's a good, that's a good sized run to throw, throw to somebody. So self-contained, you literally don't have to read anything. You don't have to be familiar with anything yeah. else yep. in the universe. Yep. Yeah. It'd be a nice omnibus. Yeah. Well, it really it's would. probably never going to happen, but yeah. <sighs> so depressing. Huh. Yeah, well, th- this stuff should go on. It should find new life. Yes. Yep. It's true. Curtailed just because of profit or or you know legal reasons. It's just yeah. silly. I'm still waiting for the Strike Force moratorium. How many books? That's an, you know, dude. That's another one, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Micronauts, Rom. Like you, we could name a bunch of series that oh, yeah. that should exist in some form, other than their original single issues, and and they don't. And it's just it's great. It's it's just so uh, so dark and so depressing. Yep. But such is the nature of commerce, I guess. What are you going to do? But hey, let's end on a, on a positive note. All told, um, I enjoyed the art a lot more than the story. I, I thought the story okay. was, it was fun. It, it, it was certainly captivating. It, it, it held my interest over the, the, the 13 issues that I read. But um, I think the real gold here are the visuals from both uh, Ross Andrew um and Garcia Lopez and uh, Villagran. I think the, the 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 thing that met my eye was so gorgeous. I mean, I, I'm, I've read a lot of sci-fi in in, in my my fifty six years. This yeah. was this was not unlike a lot of stuff I've read before. Mm-hmm. But so what, right? You can't reinvent the re- the wheel every time. I thought it was a, a great experience, more so for the the breathtaking art. Yeah, that's fair. I, I don't think the story like breaks any new ground. I don't think it's 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 like there's any kind of stroke of genius in what it is. I think it just was well done, and yeah, like I said, it held my attention, and and it was of its time. But I think again, not, like not in a bad way. And so I I did very much enjoy it, and like I said, I thought it had a satisfying arc. And uh, yeah, I, I but I but I'm with you. I mean, to me, the art was everything in this. I mean. Um, the fact that it was like top tier superhero art uh, of its time made a huge difference in in 
like how much I enjoyed it. If if it was just like kind of average bullpen art, like good, but but not, you know, but nothing special, it, I this probably wouldn't have hit me as well. Well, you're, it's really hard to turn away from Garcia Lopez and, and Ross Andrew. True. Like they're two of the the mainstays. Uh, in in I don't know about you guys, but but in my uh, comics consumption, Ross Andrew has always been there. Mm-hmm. I mean, from from the get go, and I just learned to love Garcia Lopez from from the moment I. I uh, I saw his art. I don't remember what the first thing. Uh, it was probably Teen Titans. David, maybe it wasn't. It wasn't the DC Comics presents. That came two issues. Did, that came before. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. Then, that then that that was the the first. Uh, I, I like I said, I was not a DC fan, but when I saw that DC was doing their version of Marvel Team Up, I was like, hell yeah, uh, th- th- I'm down with this. And just the cover of the first issue just pulled me right in. Bought that right off the newsstand. Boom. Boom. Yep. Yeah, because when, um, yeah, DC Comics Presents, pretty sure started in like maybe 78 or 79. It was late 70s. Um, the New Teen Titans by, by Wolfman and Perez, that wasn't until like around, it may have been 80 or 81, but the five issues that Garcia Lopez left to do left Tari Force to do in the mid to late eighties, DC had a handful of, of books where um and team books where you had they were so popular. The new Teen Titans, Legion of Superheroes, um Doesn't that bother I mean, your mind that, that Legion was popular at one time? It does. It, really, it just, I mean, it's, it should have been, but yeah, I, I wish yeah. it still was. Um, so, so DC did a new series, a, a, a direct market only series on thicker paper. Uh, they were about a buck and a quarter compared to like the 75 cent newsprint issues you get on the newsstand. Um, so you had the new teen Titans and because they don't want to confuse people, the newsstand version, the 75-cent version of the New Teen Titans was named Tales of the New Teen Titans. So strange. (laughs) The Outsiders became Adventures of the Outsiders with gorgeous Alan Davis art and um, Legion of Superheroes. Uh, Their long-running ongoing was, I think, Tales of the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, it's Maybe. very confusing. Um, as someone who didn't buy DC back then. <laughs> so, I, so the Garcia I needed Lopez it expa- explained to me. And that's fine. It was before you knew me, but I get it. And and uh, and you had... So the Garcia Lopez issues um, that he... that When Perez took a break, um, that's the, the Baxter paper, direct market, only series... That uh, and and that was the series that ended up sticking around because once because um, eventually all of those three all three of those series at uh, the outside Adventures of the Outsiders uh, Tales of the Teen Titans and and uh, the Legion of Superheroes once they finished wrapping up uh, whatever story they were telling like Tales of the Teen Titans 
the issue 50 was the wedding of, of Donna and Vince's favorite character, Terry Long. And then you had, uh, and you had, uh, that wedding issue is fantastic though. I fucking love that issue. And, um, regardless of who she's marrying, it was just a phenomenal issue with everybody who's in it. But, um, then they became reprints. So those, those issues, so the adventures of the outsiders issues, they eventually just started reprinting those Baxter paper issues. Um, and then those long-running newsprint titles, though those series, they eventually were canceled, and you only got the um, the Baxter Paper series from DC. But uh, the Legion of Superheroes ran for a little while longer. Teen Titans lasted forever, and then and then with issue fifty, it just became the New Titans. They dropped the team because they're like nine hundred two and oh, they're on their fucking forties now. So you had all the characters, um, and then we get the Titans hunt, which is fun, and then. Team Titans, unfortunately. So I mean, it, it was it was interesting to see. Uh, so so the Titans is the one that outlasted them all. Um, the uh, the the Legion series lasted for a while, and then of course you got the you ended up splitting off to the other Legion books because you got the Legionnaires and and lots. Um, yeah, so I mean, there was a bunch of stuff going on with the Legion stuff. The Outsiders did not last much longer after. Um, I, I forget how many issues they they had with their baxter series but yeah it was a, a dc tried it and, and they knew it was popular and um it got fans it got the readers to the actual comic shops because that's the only way to get those particular books those versions of those books but uh yeah it it, it was weird you know it was just why are there why are there books with different meanwhile i mean you know you go across the street to marvel and it's like you know how many x books and and how many different versions how, how many books can captain america be in in a month and uh well, spider-man's and everything and it so so no it's just it's silly for someone to complain about you know well, why do i have to read two different two different titans books meanwhile you know spidey's in three fucking books it's like i don't how do you how do you complain about one but you're absolutely fine with the other right marvel did the same thing as dc exactly. with marvel tales right well marvel tales reprinted amazing yeah and and then you know and then they would occasionally do some reprints where you had like and any I mean DC did as well when they reprinted Hard Traveling Heroes but um, and Dead Man but uh, Marvel would um, I remember reading some older issues of like Spectacular Spider like the, the two parter Spectacular Spider Man where Peter went blind and Daredevil was kind of helping him through learning to cope with his spidey sense to get used to, and, and Frank Miller drew those issues and they, and Marvel kind of like, you know, it was like, Oh, it's like Frank Miller's first time drawing Daredevil or some shit like that. And it was, and that's how I read those, that two part, cause I didn't read the original issues when they came out. So those old reprints from the eighties were a lot of fun too, because you wouldn't, they did the same thing with Moon Knight, the Moon Knight special editions. They reprinted a lot of the old Moon Knight stuff. And you know, that that's how people got to read some of those out of print and, expensive af issues that uh you weren't able to get but yeah Mar well just be honest marvel was notorious for reprinting shit in the 70s oh, all, yeah. all the monster mm -hmm. and the horror books those are that's yeah. all old stories that they all the atlas stuff <laughs> now they're reprinting them in omnibus <laughs> yeah they're still making money on it get kirby's monster books for like you know a hundred and a quarter yep yeah but uh you know we've thrown the teen titans around a lot tonight and i would love to reread that stuff that you do not have to tempt me dude yeah i remember i have very fond memories of of teen titans but 
I have a lot of black holes in my my DC uh, knowledge. I, I, you know, I've never read a Batman in the Outsiders comic. Oh my god! What? No. Wait, what? No, it did. It didn't. It, it, first of oh. all, the the characters didn't appeal to me from what sure, I sure. from what I, I I've seen. And who was it drawn by? Aparo. Yeah. Oh, you hurt my heart. I, I don't dislike him, but he's not a draw. He's not a draw for I me. I know. I know. I uh, know. Infinity Incorporated, zero experience with it. None. Haven't read it, a single issue. Yeah, I've read issues here and there. That was a spinoff of All-Star Squadron. That was another Baxter series. But that gave us um, Todd McFarlane. Right. Yeah. Thanks. Avocado. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, listen, I, I love, oh, God, I, I just, I... I can spend hours just going down like a rabbit hole of old '80s DC stuff, but it, it's a uh, no. I mean, I've got I've got the first three volumes of, of the Titans on the booze right here. I've got back issues. I mean, if it, you you say you want to read Titans, man, read, you ain't got to smart. Well, it, I mean, when I sold my collection, I had two long boxes just full of Titan stuff because mm-hmm. I was a big dummy, and when I was buying the back issues, I would buy. You know, tales from the uh, tales mm-hmm. of the Teen Titans, and I would buy new Teen Titans. So I had a, a, a shit ton of it, and uh, didn't read it until I had nice big chunks. And then once they start re- reading it, I was like, "Wait a minute, this is the same." I this, whatever. Mm-hmm. So here we go. All right, we we hope you enjoyed this here book of the month, Atari Force. If you would like to at least cast your ballot for a contender. For book of the month there's one way to do it and that is to become a patron because we solicit advice and choices from our patrons each and every month and we collate them and look at them and the ones that uh trigger something as did atari force we go down that road and as you have seen from this episode it's not about it not now it used to be about accessibility <laughs> not so much with this one but uh hey and we you know, listen and, and novelty's also, awesome the the book of the months are also going to vary as as far as our approach there may be there may be months where we go issue by issue and detail everything about yeah. it or we may just kind of bounce around and just riff on whatever this story is this, I don't, it's so dense though. If we did I am just we we'd be on issue two by now. But I also also I yeah. think I, I I part of me is there are some books where yeah, I mean depending on depending on the story, depending on how accessible it is, we can kind of do a deep dive and, and take our time and go page by page. And then there are others where I'm I'm comfortable with just letting the reader experience it. Get 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 the gist of our excitement for it, but you go. I don't need to read this story to you. You can go ahead and just right. Get the fun for yourself. It's not Ronin. Come on. <laughs> so your Ronin is Jason's next wave. I don't even think you should mention those two works in the same sentence. <laughs> I agree. What, I you. dude? No, yes. I will strip oh, you dude, of your title. The, it's not happening. You do not. You do not. <laughs> you do not shit on Ronan. Oh, I'll be sending one Christmas present this year instead of two. <laughs> Goddamn Philistine! 
<laughs> all right everybody hey and again if you want to see what all this patron stuff is about go to patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics one one no apostrophe take a look around we'd love to have you join the family well in your travels i talked about this last um episode jason wasn't here but uh, I, and I said, read this along with me and we'll talk about it. So uh, it doesn't look like it, we're going to do that. But um, I want to reiterate why you should read. The Disney Masters, Donald Duck follows the fearless leader. Um, hardcover. It's volume 14, I believe. And uh, as I said last time, it's by Dick Kinney and Al Hubbard. And it focuses on stuff I would guess that you probably haven't read on this side of the the water. Because as American uh, Disney comic fans, the the Disney landscape in America and overseas are very, very different things. Uh, This hardcover focuses primarily on Donald's cousin, Feathery, Feathery Duck. And I was trying to think, how do I describe this dude? Well, he, he's kind of like a beatnik. He's very earthy. Uh, not so much a hippie, but um, my son would sum him up and as a hype beast. <laughs> if there's a, a trend, Feathery's on it. Like, some of the stories are Feathery starts eating right. He doesn't want junk food. He doesn't doesn't want processed stuff. He's all about the natural, the organic, and he he frequently comes to visit Donald and imparts his obsession to Donald, whatever it is at the moment, and it changes from story to story. So if if Feathery is is all about the the eating right and the exercise, he tries to transform Donald's life to mirror his life. That's basically the formula for this entire book. But the the stories, at least to me, Hubbard and um, Kinney, there's, there's just this warm sense of well-being when I read the, these things. It's comforting. They're simple things, uh, simple stories, but it's amazing to me how much mileage they get out of this construct and and feathery is a um a hubbard and and kinney character which was very very and still is very popular uh in europe and overseas but i don't want to say virtually unknown on this side because obviously a fan graphics is publishing uh, a collection of stories featuring the character he's not totally unknown but if I asked you who Feathery was, chances are very good you probably wouldn't know, right? Uncle Scrooge, Correct. sure. Mm-hmm. You know the nephews, yeah, I know them. But but Feathery, he's he's uh, again in America, he's a footnote, and this book is just amazing. Um, not only the stories, but the art as well. As I said last time, there's a a, a Chuck Jones. Uh, approach to it where the lines are are very um 
there's a there's a, uh, a heartbeat. There's a pulse. There's a very um, exaggerated quality to the lines where uh, kind of like William Van Horn a little bit, um, you know, Chuck Jones. But the, the he they they depict the the ducks like especially Donald. Who who flies off the handle? We we know he does that, but when he flies off the handle in a Kinney and Hubbard book, it's very expressive. Uh, the the lines are just crazy and not like you're gonna see in in a work by Barks or Rosa. So if if you have uh, an adventurous spirit and you want to read some just wholesome, good natured, soul enveloping comics, um, get this book because it's a hell of a lot of fun. Time will fly, and you'll feel you'll be comforted by reading these. They're they're just great stories. Very simple premise, but manipulated each and every time in novel ways, and it's just great. Donald Duck, follow the fearless leader. Fanographics, it's thirty bucks, but if you're smart, you can get it cheaper. Nice. Yeah. If I had my druthers, this entire series would be on my shelf. But uh, I add them to my order when my order is not huge. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, in your trails. Um, actually, I did not get to read this for tonight, so I'm going to have it for next week. But I have all three issues, and I know that the hardcover... Uh, from a blaze was solicited. Uh, I'm not sure if it's out yet. Um, but Laura and other stories from Uyong March. Uh, my man knows how to draw the ladies. And um, after reading Carmen, I do like his writing. So uh, I have been looking forward to reading this. I now I have the time where I can, and I will read it for next week. So. Like Vince said last week, if you feel like reading along, go for it. Otherwise, uh, you'll hear me discuss it next week. Nice. Uh, I read a bunch of uh, number one issues this week. Uh, but far and away in your travels, the best one, really the only one I think that I, I would strongly recommend would be uh, from Image Comics, Bloodstained Teeth, number one, mm. uh, written by Christian Ward, art by Patrick Reynolds. Um, oh, Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Christian Ward's not drawing it? No. No, no he's writing it, yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Um, That's weird, but... but yeah, it is. yeah, so there is no lack of vampire comics out there, um, <laughs> right? Like, like, well, pretty much always, but but currently, um, uh, hell, I mean, Philadelphia's, you know, happening right now at Image. You've, you just got New American Vampire arc at, you know... Uh, at DC, you got uh, you know you've got uh, Tim Seeley's got a new one at Vault. Yeah, you've got DC versus Vampires, which I'm loving. So like, there, there's plenty of vampire comic out there. So you got to bring something different to the equation. Uh, and I have to say, um, you know, I'm an easy mark for vampire stories, which is why I, I pre-ordered this first issue, uh, and uh, and it, it won me over. Um, it's a pretty simple. Pr- First of all, I almost. I had to side eye the solicit because the solicit says uh, a fast paced hundred bullets style crime drama with fangs. <laughs> and like, you know me, if you're going to compare some of the hundred bullets, you got to bring it, you know? So I, I wouldn't, I, they need to slow the roll on that. But, but, but I thought the first issue was, 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 was rock solid. 
you've got a classic anti-hero, as often is the case with vampire stories, right? Atticus Sloan. And it just sets up right away that in this world, there are two types of vampires, right? There's the, there's the, the kind that are born into the world as vampires and then the kind that are created in the trope that we've seen very often where, you know, they're, they're turned. And uh, in this world, the old uh, natural born um, are elitists and they run the world. They have high power. They're wealthy, influential, and they have total disdain for the, they call them sips, but the, uh, the created vampires. And they, they look down on, on the idea of creating these vampires. Well, Atticus Sloan is, um, you know, he's an asshole. He's an opportunist and he likes material possessions. So he spends his time, uh, creating, uh, turning people, you know, for money. And, uh, that's a no, no. The other, the other old heads aren't a fan of that. And, uh, and, and they, they confront him about this and they basically say the premise of the first issue is basically setting up the series, which is like you have, uh, you have a very limited window of time to track down all the sips that you've created and kill them. And if you don't, we're going to kill you. And so that's the premise. So he's got to go figure out all the people he's turned and hunt them down and kill them. So, you know, cool premise. Uh, it could be fun, at least for a while. I don't know how long this is planned to go. I believe it is an ongoing series. So I'm sure like with any image ongoing, it'll kind of come down to just how, whether sales support it or not. But, uh, but yeah, I thought it was cool. Um, you know, Patrick Reynolds is, uh, like the, the style of the art is kind of, I don't want to say photorealistic, but it's definitely like photo ref with overlay, you know? Um, there's a really interesting color palette in this book. Uh, and I believe the color, I believe the colorist is Heather Moore. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's like very, very hot, like warm colors, you know, like it's, it's, it's definitely colors you wouldn't like that are meant to arrest the eye. Um, not quite like day glow, not like that extreme, but but definitely colors that are uh, kind of punchy in the face and don't and feel a little bit at left of center, which I'm sure is by design. Uh, I dug it though; I dug it a lot, and um, uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a really solid intro issue that pulls you right into the premise, and you're either on, you're, you're there for the ride or you're not. Uh, so, bloodstained teeth number one. Yeah, it sounds very Vampire the Masquerade to me. Uh, a lot of flat color in this. I think the color looks great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the um, the artist is uh, the same one who drew the, um, illustrated the recent miniseries uh, from Dark Horse. The, the recent Mask yeah, it is. miniseries. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't read, so I can't speak to that. But. Yeah, I... Unfortunately, I did, but I, I didn't. I didn't really have a problem with the art. The art was different than, of course, you know, Monkey. But um, I, I did, I did notice the names of the artist and, of course, Christian Ward. So I, I did. Uh, it was something that I was looking forward to checking out. So I'm, I'm going to. Nice. All right, there you go, people. Another episode in the books. We hope you come back next time where we'll have a potpourri. A cornucopia of uh, comics discussion, not just one main thing. We'll be all over the map. So uh, come back, bring something to eat because it's going to be a long one. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, say good night. Oh, and I would like to thank um, Digits. That's what I'll call them because I don't know who they are. 
I would like to thank Digits for uh, the ketchup packets. That's all I'm going to say. David. Good night. How was it that long? It was. It was, wasn't it? It's all right. Almost halfway there. My wine cork collection is expanding. Mm. Oh, yeah, I have ten. Look at you! Ah, damn! <laughs> Shut I up! Shout something out. Do it now Shave because it. apparently, okay. All right, well, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I mean, we could we for people that are still listening. Uh, an awesome new Kickstarter just launched um, for uh, Jason Youngbluth has given us bequeathed upon the world more Weapon Brown. And uh, I'm very, very excited for it. He started a new campaign for uh, his latest iteration today. Um, and uh, it's it, last I checked, it was very close to already being fully funded. So I don't think that'll be a problem, but it's got great, great tiers. Um, like you can get a you can get there's a tier for, uh, I think, 200 bucks where you get an original page from the series. And uh, I don't know where I don't know where else you're going to get away for. Plus, you get the book, so I don't know where you're gonna, else going to get it. But anyway, it's called uh, Weapon Brown Aftershock, the Little Red Edition by Jason Youngbluth. And uh, way back at uh, I think episode like 600 and something, uh, I waxed waxed lovingly about the book and adore it very much. So very very excited that we're getting more. Uh, if I remember correctly, the reason why the red is used as an accent color is that it will be exclusive to this uh, Kickstarter printing. So any printings that come after won't have the red. There you go. Yeah. So get on it, you bastards. And come back here, because we love you so much. We'll be waiting. Tell them you love them. I am reasonably fond of most of you. You would think his time away would just like make him all lovey-dovey, but it's not the case. Whatever. I am all lovey-dovey. I'm always love. I, I, I'm always got the love for you. The two of you. No, the two of you. That does not do the listenership any good. Well, yes, it does because the listeners know where they know where the bread is buttered. They know I got love for him. Okay. Bye. That's it for that one.